riding elephants all summer, and uh, this morning we're going to talk about how the, the pain of the past actually can help us find our, our true hope, our, uh, the, the real hope that we have, the only real hope that we have. The pain of the past can help us find our living hope. My son, Benjamin, was playing Ultimate Frisbee the last week of, of his uh, first year of college, and uh, he dove for a catch in an Ultimate Frisbee game, broke his collarbone. He said he caught it. Uh, I don't know if it was a winning catch or not, but he kind of kind of implied that it was an important catch, you know. So, But he broke his collarbone, and so for, for about a month, it was sort of uh, frozen in a, in a sling. And uh, now he's in the, the process of kind of working that out, you know, getting... And, and it's, it, you know, so, so sometimes we get hurt and we get stuck. And working back to life, getting back to mobility physically can be painful. And the same thing is true about emotional pain. Sometimes you get hurt and you get stuck. And working through that pain can be difficult. But we need to work through it. We need to work through it because that, that's the very place where God can reveal to us. He can strip away all the things that we're invested in, all the things we're building our lives upon. He can strip all that down to what's, what's really there, what we can really count on, what is our deposit of ultimate hope. From the Word of God, 2 Timothy chapter, chapter 2, starting at verse 8, going through verse 17. Hear God's Word this morning. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel, for which I am suffering, bound with chains, as a criminal. But the Word of God is not bound. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. The saying is trustworthy. For if we have died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he will deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. Remind them of these things and charge them before God not to quarrel about words which does no good but only ruins the hearers. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. But avoid irreverent babble for it will lead people into more and more ungodliness, and their talk will spread like gangrene. Among them are Hymenaeus and Philetus, who swerved from the truth. May God bless us through this, his holy word. Let's pray. God bless us now through your word, not only to our minds to understand it, but to our hearts to receive it, that through our lives we may live it. In Jesus' name, amen. So how do you benefit from your past hurts? You know, how do, we, how do we get that scar tissue out of the shoulder? How do we benefit? And by working through it, how do we benefit in our hurt? 
Not just around it, not just past it, but in the midst of your hurt. Can you benefit? Yes, because hurt can strip away all the stuff that's a delusion. And it can get us down to what is really real. Really real. What's your real hope? Where is your real hope? Are you living your real hope? Your hurt can help you discover it, to unearth it, to, 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 to demonstrate even to yourself in the moment what's really real. So there, there's a famous little story of, of um, Michelangelo. One of his students was asking him, how did you approach your masterpiece, Moses? You know, so Moses, that beautiful sculpture that you can go and see and and he, he said, you know, he famously said, you know, I just chipped away the parts that didn't belong there. Now, that's an artist that can sort of see. I, I don't have that. Do you have that? that? That Some of you are artists, and you can see in a block of, of stone what's supposed to be there. Now, hurt can do that. Hurt can, can, can begin to strip away what doesn't belong right down to the beauty that God has given us, the deposit that we have, the life that we have, the hope. That results from the life that we have. So let's, let's look at how Paul lives that in prison. Let's, let's look at the way that, that Paul embraces his only hope because of the circumstances he's experiencing. It allows him to face the past and the present and the future. That's how we're going to approach it. Past, present, and future. Facing it through the hope the really real hope that we have in Jesus Christ. First, when, when we allow hurt to strip away and we allow that hope to emerge, right? That pic- beautiful picture, that picture of Moses, you know, that, that beautiful sculpture. When that hopeful picture begins to emerge in your life, that deposit that God has placed in your life, the presence of God, when you allow that to emerge, it frees you to look at your past and learn from it, not revise it. Your hope frees you to look at your past and learn from it and not revise it. Now, what do I mean by revise it? You know what I mean. You know, there are a lot of things in our past we would love to just sort of keep back there, but our past influences us. We need to learn from it. And a lot of times what we do is we kind of change it. We kind of alter it a little bit. We're ashamed of it. And so we kind of dress it up a little bit, or we make ourselves a little bit more the hero, or we emphasize parts of it that, that um, even in our own selves, we lie to ourselves. We can't face it, because we don't really, we're not really living the hope. We don't have the strength of that deposit of the presence of God. But when you have that, you can learn from your past. You know, fam- you know another famous saying, uh, you know, those who... Uh, do not learn from their past, are doomed to repeat it. How do you learn from your past? You have to have some kind of resource. You have to have the strength to really look at it. What was that that I was about? What was happening there? So, verse 3, you can, it, it, this was last week, but we're going to jump back up to verse 3 for a minute uh, in, in the second chapter of Timothy. He says, share in the sufferings like a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Paul is is talking about the fact that he's going to suffer, that he's, going to, that he's in the midst of suffering, that that's not abnormal. We shouldn't be afraid of it. We shouldn't be ashamed of the suffering. A lot of times, what, 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 uh, the, the, it was almost a superstition of the day that said, you know, if, if somebody's having bad circumstances, 
There's, you know, don't get any of it on you. Don't get too close to them. There's something wrong. They did something wrong or whatever. Paul's saying, I, I'm not ashamed of my circumstances. I'm not ashamed of, he, he even talks about his own past. He's not ashamed of his own past. He lets his past emerge. Uh, you know, back up to verse 3 of, of the first chapter. He says, I thank my God whom I served, as did my ancestors, with a clear conscience. He even has a clear conscience about his past. This is Paul who was killing Christians. How does he have a clear conscience? Because of his hope. Because that's been wiped clean. Because he doesn't have to pretend away his past. He can face his past and learn from it. He can name what was really there and he can say, but all of that has been wiped clean. Do you see that? That's what hope does for you. That the presence of God, it's really a promise. The the deposit that, that Paul is talking about here, this deposit, What is that? It's the idea that God is present in your life. Do you experience his presence enough to be able to look honestly at your past and be honest about what really happened there? There's something powerful about God being with you that gives you the confidence to look at your past and learn from it. You can see this in self-deprecating humor. I love self-deprecating humor. I, I like old, you know, Rodney Dangerfield. He was always straightening his tie, you know. He's always sort of just kind of like, you know, don't really notice me. I mean, I'm just sort of up here being the funny. And, I, you know, I, 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 I saw this little example of a, a self-deprecating joke that I think was hilarious. It, it says, you know, human beings are basically 90% water. So, so we're really cucumbers with anxiety, Right? I mean, it's, it's funny because there's an image, but there's something else that's interesting about why it's funny. Uh, you break down a joke, you ruin the joke. But we're going to ruin this joke. So here, here, here's why it's, it, it, self-deprecating humor works. Why did you laugh? Part of it is, you know, the image, but part of it is that when somebody admits something about themselves that's true about you, right? When somebody admits something about themselves that's also true about you, they're with you. They get you. It's powerful to say, oh, yeah, that's me too. I, I, I feel that way. Yeah, I'm basically a cucumber with anxiety. I mean, yeah, yep, you nailed it. You know? But now we're together. There's something powerful about that. There's something that, that connects. And we both can say, look, this is, this is who we really are. This is what is really going on. And see, this deposit of God with us gives us the strength. Not to, not to wipe the past, uh, the, the past, the slate of the past clean in, in the way that says it didn't happen, but so differently to say, this is what happened. In fact, it was probably worse than I can even recount. But my hope is not in that past performance. My hope is in this deposit of the presence of God. See, this, this is what... This is what this whole passage is about, is, is recognizing that there is a central There's a central hope that you have, and that is the promise that expresses itself in the presence of God. Do you understand what I'm saying? You have a promise, a deposit of new life in Christ. It's already given to you, but not yet realized. But the way we experience that, when hurt strips away all of the the extraneous things that we build our lives around, all the extraneous things that we try to find meaning in, when, when hurt strips that away, we begin to see this hope is powerful. It gives us the power to look back and learn from our past, to be honest about what really happened. The presence of God expressed as a promise 
is the hope that we have. To be able to look back and learn and not revise. Second, this, this presence in your life that really you experience as hope, this presence of God, the promise that, we, that, that, that is, is the presence of God in your life now, we experience that as hope. It gives us the freedom to live in the moment and not avoid it or deny it or step aside from it. Now, this is, there's a lot going on in this passage. Let me see if I can help you understand how, how the hope that, of that deposit in your life, the presence of God, how that hope can help you live the highs and lows of your life. Live in the moment, not, not try to flatten them out, not try, to, not try to bend them, not try to step aside or deny them or sort of, sort of have an out-of-body experience looking at them and saying that they don't affect you. They do affect you. Highs and lows do affect you. And the hope that we have in Christ, the presence of God in your life, it gives you the resources to live fully awake. And now, I, I said the first week, you know, the, the glory of God is a, is a person fully alive, right? How do you live fully awake and alive in the highs and lows of life? You have to have a living hope. When I was in college, that. I got to see Kurt Vonnegut. Some of y'all have read his, you know, well-known book, Slaughterhouse-Five. I, I got to see him live in person. He gave a talk at our university. And uh, I'll never forget his talk because it was, he had one image. And he had a whole flip chart just to, just to draw this one image. And his whole talk was about this one image. You know what the image was? It was a flat, straight line. He demonstrably took a big marker and he got on that flip chart and he drew this straight line and he said, he was talking about how pathetic it was that people go through these highs and lows of life when, when the goal is this and he draws this straight line. And I thought that, that looks like, you know, what happens in an emergency room when things go bad, you know, I mean, it's, <laughs> that's, not, that doesn't, that's not living, right? I mean, that's, that's stoicism. That's the idea that, hey, look, the highs and lows of life aren't going to, they're not going to get me. They're not going to get to me. And there's a lot going on in this passage. Let me help you make the connection here between how you can live into the highs and lows of life and not just sort of sidestep them. There, there's, there's, there are a couple of guys, um, I mentioned them, Hermeneus and, and, uh, and, uh, and, and Philetus, or Hymenaeus and Philetus, and uh, they, they're stirring up controversy. So see if you can follow the argument here, because there's, there's a lot to unpack here. So see if you can follow me, okay? This is going to take a minute. So, so Hymenaeus and Philetus are a couple of characters he, he names, and, and he even names, I, I wanted to, to save the, the next verse. What is the controversy that they're stirring up? And he says, who have swerved from the truth, saying that the resurrection has already happened. They're upsetting the faith of some. Why would they do that? I mean, if the resurrection has already happened, what, what do you have? What, what, what do we have left? Well, in some ways, what they're saying is, well, you know, it, there's not going to be a resurrection of the body, but that, that we just are, are, are going to be spirits. I mean, who knows exactly what it is? But the point is, is that they're stirring up controversy because they're majoring in the minors. Oh, we don't do this today, do we? 
<laughs> I mean, I spent the whole week looking at, at another denomination's uh, majoring the minor, and that could be us, and that's why we need to study passages like this. I mean, I, I'm not denigrating another denomination. It's the same gene pool in that denomination as ours. We can fall into the same kind of thing, stirring up controversy. These two guys were stirring up controversy. Why? Because they wanted to make a name for themselves. Because they wanted to center the thing on themselves. Because they wanted to, to teach and they wanted to, to get some attention. And instead of keeping the main thing the main thing, they, they decided that they were going to just sort of have their own little pet theory about something. And ironically, ironically, they've lost the very hope that's allowing Paul in the midst of his, what should be, deep despair, to thrive and write one of the most beautiful pastoral letters ever written. I mean, do you see that? you see how amazing this, this letter is one of the most endearing, powerful letters of hope, one of the most amazing marks of leadership to be able to pour out his life, whatever's left of it, into somebody else. Why is he able to do that? Because he's cut straight the word of truth. He's cut it straight. He knows what's, what's major and he knows what's minor. He knows what's the main point from the supporting points. He knows that, that what's central to the gospel is the very thing that allows him to live fully awake and alive in the highs and lows of life, not to sort of get to a place where he's just sort of flatlined and stepping aside and sort of proud of himself in some ways and saying, you know what, this doesn't get to me. I'm, I'm you know, sort of self-actualized in a way that, that allows me just to let the highs and lows just sort of be over there. No. And this is what Hymenaeus and, and Philetus are, are, are really doing. They're, they're saying, you know, here's our philosophy of life. We're going to sort of cannibalize or use Christianity as a way to prop ourselves up and, and sort of, you know, propagate our own philosophy. Paul's saying that it's not going to cut it here in prison with me. So learn to cut straight the word of truth, Timothy. Learn to cut it straight. Know what's the major. Know what's the minor. Understand what the main point is. Understand what the main thing. Know what that deposit means, that it's the presence of God as a promise in your life that expresses itself in hope. And build your life on that and let the hurt, even the hurt, let that hope emerge. I love this line, a couple of lines from George Herbert. I live, listen closely, I live to show his power who once did bring my joys to weep and my griefs to sing. Let me read it again. I live, this is Paul, this expresses everything that Paul's saying in this letter. I live, and whatever is left of his life in these deplorable circumstances, he's saying this, I live to show his power who once did bring my joys to weep and my griefs to sing. You see, in the highs and lows of life, he's present. He's present. In the ups and downs, the highs and lows, your hope can emerge in the hurt, not after it. <laughs> you can see Paul in those lines, can't you? My joys to weep. Oh, he looks back and, and looks at, at his proud heritage, 
and yet he weeps over his pride. He looks back, he looks back, and he thinks of his horrible treatment of those who, who he's speaking to, he's teaching, brothers and sisters, of people who he oversaw in their execution, Christians at one time. And he can look at that grief, and that grief can sing because God has freed him from all the power of sin and death. That's his hope in the midst of it. He's living fully awake and alive in the highs of lows of life. He's not going for some kind of stoic flatlining of life and stepping aside of it and saying, look at what I've done. He's saying, look past me to my living hope, to the presence of God expressed as a promise. Finally, this, he says, you know, so he's talking about God's presence in you, freeing to learn from the past, freeing you to live fully awake and alive in the highs and lows of life, freeing you to look into your future and not worry. Just like we don't revise the past, just like we don't sidestep the present, we can look fully into the future with confidence because of the presence of God expressed as a promise, felt as a hope. Verse 14, he's talking directly about this deposit. Remind them of these things and charge them before God not to quarrel about words which do no good. We've already covered that but only ruins the hearers. Do your best to present yourself as one approved, unashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. All of this, all of this, Paul is expressing again and again, look, center your life on the promise, not on the minors, not on endless controversies, not ashamed of any of the suffering that you will have to experience. He's saying, this hope has a power to let you look into the future. A power to live fully awake alive, not to worry about it, not to worry about the future. You see, there's this, there's this experiment, 1957, I think this is a Harvard University experiment, some really, um, uh, this was sort of a, one of those pivotal moments of where, where psychology began to just sort of express itself. It, it was almost putting psychology on the map because people began to see, gosh, we can really learn things from, from experiments like, like, the, like these ones that, that, they were, um, that they were demonstrating in 1957 using mice. And, and so they, here, here's one in particular. They, they took my, a mouse and they put them in, in several mice, really, and they did this over and over again. They put them in water, and, and they, would, they would tread water for about 15 minutes, and then they would go underwater, and they would have drowned. They, I, I assume that they, they rescued those sweet little white little mice. You know, I'm, I assume that they you know, rescued them, because this is what happened next. They would, they would, they would dip their hand in and, and save them from drowning, and they'd give them a little break, and then he'd put them back in the water. And you know how long that they swam? You want to know how long they swam? This blew me away. I couldn't even believe it. They swam for almost three days. Fifteen minutes, they were ready to give it up. And then one little hand of hope. And for three days, they swam and swam and swam. That's amazing. See how powerful hope is? 
I mean, even on a practical, that's what I'm saying, is even on a practical level. I mean, God made this universe. He, he set up, he set up uh, the principles. He, he created you and wires you the way that you are. And he knows that he made you in such a way that, that you need to be able to lean into the future. You need to be able to have hope. How powerful it is that it's baked in, into creation. That this deposit of the presence of God that Paul's talking about again and again and again throughout chapter 1, throughout chapter 2. Let's look back. Ver- uh, th- this is, again, I'm, I'm sort of putting chapter 1 and chapter 2 together. So this is verse 14 of chapter 1. He's saying, by the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. What is that deposit? I've been saying it again and again and again. It is the presence of God in your life. The presence that is a promise of future life that you experience as hope. And so when you're in the midst of that hurt, it's a little like, it's a, little like a crucible. What's a crucible? A crucible is a place where you, you, know, you, you, you have this, this precious metal, right? And, and it's heated up. And all of the dross, all of the, anything that's not gold or anything that's not silver burns up, right? And what's left is that pure metal. Anything that's not gold, anything that's not silver is gone. And this is what Paul is saying. He's in a crucible. He's in a difficult situation. He's trying to impress upon Timothy. That's okay, because the word of God is not bound. In fact, how powerful it is. We get to see the, 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 the rest of the story with, uh, with what happened with, with Paul. We get to see how his living this presence. And we're talking about it today. His confidence in that hope. Of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Look back to the very beginning of the Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel. You know, don't be thrown by him saying my gospel. You know, it's the idea that this is one gospel. This is the gospel that was passed on. This is the gospel he experienced. The gospel that you experienced, such that you would express it that way. This is my gospel. It's become mine. Is it yours? Do you have that, that future promise so much that you are experiencing the presence of God, that he's with you, that you belong to him, that you can look back at your past and learn from it, that you can live into the highs and lows of the moments that come to you day by day and not just wait for them to pass by and brush them aside, that you can lean into your future. Do you have that kind of promise, that kind of hope? Well, Dietrich Bonhoeffer sure had it. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, a great hero of the faith in World War II, who was a pastor, a powerful voice for the church when the church was really just lining up with the Nazis. Somebody who ended up in jail, like Paul. <laughs> he expresses well in, in a modern age what I think Paul was saying in this letter. This is what he says. It's kind of a, it's a poem. He says this. Who am I? They often tell me I stepped from my cell, cell's confinement, calmly, cheerfully, firmly, like a squire from his country house. <laughs> Can you picture that? 
He's in jail. And he's describing somebody else looking at him, seeing his confidence like he's a squire stepping out of his cell, uh, like a squire stepping out of his country house. Who am I? They often tell me I used to speak to my wardens freely and friendly and clearly as though they were mine to command. Who am I? They also tell me I bore the days of misfortune equitably, smilingly, proudly, like one accustomed to win. Am I then really that which other men tell of? Or am I only what I myself know of myself, restless and longing and sick like a bird in a cage, struggling for breath, as though hands were compressing my throat, yearning for colors, for flowers, for the voices of birds, thirsting for words of kindness, for neighborliness, tossing in expectations of great events, powerlessly trembling for friends at an infinite distance, weary and empty and praying and thinking and making, faint and ready to say farewell to it all. Who am I, this or the other? Am I one person today and tomorrow another? Am I both at once? A hypocrite before others, and before myself, a contemptible, woebegone weakling? Or is something within me still like a beaten army fleeing in disorder from victory already achieved? Who am I? They mock me, these lonely questions of mine. Whoever I am, thou knowest, O God, I am thine. presence of God, expressed as a promise, felt as a hope. With that, we can sing, it is well with my soul. Let's pray together. Gracious God, our Heavenly Father, in the highs and lows of life, you present yourself as one present with us, and we pray that we could embrace that presence so much. That no matter what we're facing, no matter what circumstances we're in, Lord, that you'd help us to rise above and sing, it is well, it is well with my soul. In Jesus' name, amen.